The friends and partners of Kevin Inman Ministries present Contenders Radio with Pastor Kevin Inman. Pastor Kevin is committed to equipping you to earnestly contend for the faith. For more information on Pastor Kevin and Contenders Radio, please visit our website at www.kevininman.org. That's www.kevininman.org. Hello and welcome to another edition of Contenders Radio. I'm your host, Kevin Inman, and today we're going to listen in on a sermon that was recently preached uh, at my home church, Grace Point at Eagle Heights Church in Orange, Texas. The sermon was the doctrine of the Godhead Trinity. So today and on the next broadcast, we'll be listening in and looking at why we affirm the doctrine of the Trinity. In fact, there are two good reasons. The first is that it's the way in which God has disclosed himself in the Bible. And the second is it is what the church has affirmed through the centuries since its earliest days. And so I hope you enjoy this look at the doctrine of the Godhead Trinity. Enjoy. You are now listening to Contenders Radio with Pastor Kevin Inman. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his work. Believe in, believe me, rather, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. This is the word of the Lord. And next week, Lord willing, we'll go back and we're going to pick up in verse 12 this idea of, of greater works than these. We're going to talk about what that means biblically because that too has been misunderstood and, and, and wrongly proclaimed um, throughout the years. So we'll go back and look at that. But for today, I want us to talk about this doctrine of the Trinity and why we believe in the Godhead. Our church's doctrinal statement says this, and you can find our church doctrinal statement online at gapachurch.com. Uh, you can also find a copy of it out in the foyer. Uh, there is a booklet that we've put together about our church's doctrinal statement. But it says this concerning the triunity of God. It says this, we teach that there is but one living and true God. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, Isaiah 45 verse 57, 1 Corinthians 8 4. And this one true God is an infinite all-knowing spirit, John 4 24, perfect in all his attributes, one in essence, Eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Each equally deserving of our worship and our obedience. And this is our official stance upon this ideal of, of the essence of who God is. Now let's define this word Trinity, first of all. The word Trinity is not found in the Bible. 
And some would argue that the word Godhead is, and we should use that word, but really the word Godhead's not in the Bible either. It is translated from a word, uh, the King James, and maybe the New King James still uses the word Godhead, but the, the root, really, of that word is simply deity. It's simply deity. It's not Trinity or basically it's not even Godhead. It's deity. But yet, uh, both of those words are fitting, and both of those words have been chosen by men to describe the doctrine of the Godhead Trinity. The Westminster Confession states this, In the unity of the Godhead there are three persons of one substance, power, and eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's chapter 2, section 3 of the Westminster Confession. Now, the Westminster Confession is not the Word of God. It's not. It's simply a doctrinal statement by men, much like our doctrinal statement, that was put together to contain the essence, to qualify and quantify the essence of what those men believed in that time. It's, for the most part, a good and fitting confession. It's not perfect, because only God and His Word are perfect. Amen? But it does describe for us what we believe today regarding the Godhead Trinity. God is one in essence and three in person. And those words are very important for us to understand. Any, any wrong defining of those words in that short statement that God is one in essence and three in persons will lead us into some very dangerous territory and, and can lead us into heresy. Now, many have been led astray by wrongly understanding what these words mean. And so let's step back for a moment and let's define a few terms. The first term is the term essence. Essence. The word essence is a noun. It means something that exists. A unification of attributes. A being. A substance. The word essence. The other word in that short definition that God is one in essence and three in persons is the word person. And that's one that we may think we have a hold on, but, but hold on. The word person is also a noun. It's, it simply means an individual, a self, possessing personal, relational attributes, intellect, emotions, and will. That's a more thorough understanding of a person. A person isn't just Chuck. I mean, he is a person, but it's more than just saying a person is Chuck, or a person is Belinda, or a person is Miss Cherie, a person is Bobby. A person has, has not just personality, but attributes. Relational attributes, intellect, emotions, a person has a will. And so when we begin then to talk about this definition of the Godhead Trinity, what we're saying is that there is one God who is three persons. One essence, but three persons. Another way to look at it is this. There's one what that is God, who is also three who's. One what and three who's. And if you wrongly interpret and wrongly understand the definitions of essence and persons, you'll think, like many do today, that, that we, are, we are trying to define God with contradictory terms. And that's not the case. An essence and a person are not the same things. The word essence, again, something that exists, a being, a unification of attributes, a substance. But a person is a self Possessing relational, personal attributes, intellect, emotions, and a will. Essence is the what of God, and persons are the who of God. And I say are the who because I mean it plural. When we define God as a trinity or a Godhead or even using the word triunity, 
In fact, I like the word triunity better because it speaks of plurality in unity. Three in one. Three in one. And that is really the essence of the word trinity. The word trinity is just an older term. An older term that was coined by a theologian. I want to say second century, but it may have been the third century. I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head this morning. But again, what we're saying is this, that the Father is God, the Son, Jesus Christ, is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's clear as mud, isn't it? Actually, that part's pretty clear. That part is actually pretty clear. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. They are not three gods, but they are only one God. They're only one God. You didn't know you were going to seminary today, did you? And folks, this may be a little... A little a little weightier, but folks, this is foundational Christianity. This is core biblical Christianity. And if we're wrong on this, we have missed Christianity. And I say that unashamedly. If we miss this, we worship another God. Because this is the way the Scriptures have, have revealed God to us. We may not be able to define all the terms. We may not understand it all perfectly. But if we deny it, we have denied God Himself. Therefore, we're going to continue on this morning. We're saying that the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. They are distinct, yet they are one. It is one what and three who's. Or not it is. God is one what. God's not an it. Right, let me catch myself there. We're saying He, God, is one what and three who's. Now, it's important to clarify what we're not saying. So let me just share with you three things very quickly that we're not saying when we say that we believe that God is triune. He is a trinity. He is a Godhead. We're not saying that there are three gods. That is absolutely not what biblical Christianity teaches. Islam accuses us of worshiping three gods. Islam considers Christianity polytheistic rather than monotheistic. Polyism is the belief in many gods. We're also not tritheists. We also do not worship three gods. We're not tritheistic. We're not polytheistic. Tri being three, like a tricycle, tricycle, however you say that, right? We don't believe that God is three different gods. We're not worshiping many gods. We are a monotheistic religion. So we're, we worship one God, mono, one, one God. We're not saying that God has three forms, like steam, water, ice. God doesn't appear to us in different forms. That's an ancient heresy called modalism that is still alive today. Still alive today. Modalism exists. It's known today as the apostolic church or the Pentecostal church. But that's not what the Bible proclaims. It's not what the Bible declares about God. It's not how the Scriptures reveal God. In this heresy, God is pictured as moving from one mode to another mode. However, God is the Father, the Son is the Father, uh, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. So, God, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, all at the same time and all at all times. That's what biblical Christianity teaches. That's what we proclaim here at Gapuk. That the Father is God at all times, and the Son is God at all times, and the Spirit is God at all times. At all times, in the same way and at the same time. There's a third thing we're not saying. So we're not saying there are three gods. We're not saying that God has three forms. We're also not saying that the three persons of the Trinity are all simply three pieces of God. Meaning Jesus is one-third God. 
And this is a little, this one might catch you off guard here, right? Jesus isn't a third of God, and the Father's not a third of God, and the Holy Spirit's not a third of God. We don't dissect God in that way. There is one God who exists in three persons simultaneously, Father, Son, and Spirit. And that's what the Bible proclaims. And we're going to prove that in just a few moments. Now, I know that, that the Trinity, the Godhead, the triunity of God is, is hard to grasp because we have nothing like it in our existence. We have absolutely nothing to compare it to. And I think that's a good thing. I've already shown you that, that this illustration of, of, of water, steam, and ice that some people use to try to describe the Trinity, it falls short because water, steam, and ice don't normally exist in all three forms at the same time. The same molecules do not inhabit all three forms simultaneously. It's different modes of the water molecule. I know it's hard to fathom. There's no illustration that can capture the essence and the nature of who God is. But that doesn't mean it's not real. That doesn't mean this isn't true. I believe the fact that this is impossible for us to illustrate in, in the world of naturalism that we are a part of, I think it shouts even more loudly that, that God is God. That God is beyond humanity. God is beyond outside of human compre comprehension. And yet, He chooses to reveal Himself to us in this way. God has condescended to finite man. The infinite has come down to us to enable us to understand Him in this way. We have our limits. And yet, God is who He says He is in the Scriptures. So the real question is this then. There's no verse, or there's no word Trinity in the Bible. There's no verse that says that, that God is a Trinity. There's no verse really that even says God is a Godhead. So is it true? Well, I want us to see that it's absolutely, undeniably true. Now, I want to show you three premises today, and which brings us to the main point that, that yes, the triunity or the Godhead of God is a biblical reality that we should believe in and proclaim. And so the first point is this. There is one God. One and only one God. And you may already believe in this notion of the Trinity, this concept of the Trinity. And praise God if you do, because it's biblical. But if you haven't and run into people yet who deny this, if you are witnessing to people, loved ones, uh, just people in general, you will engage people who deny the Trinity, the triunity of God. They don't understand the Godhead. And it's our obligation as Christians to be able to rightly define as best as God has given us who He is. Amen? And so I, I would encourage you, in fact, I, I implore you to listen intently and take notes down even because I'm going to give you a ready defense of the triunity of God right here this morning. Step one, point one is there is one and only one God. In the Scriptures, we see that repeatedly over and over and over again that there is but one God. In fact, we are monotheistic. Mono meaning in one, theo, uh, theistic meaning coming from the root theos, which is, is for, for God. It's a, it's a generic term for, for God. So we are monotheistic. We believe in one God. And the most definitive proclamation of, of the fact that there is one God is found in the great Shema, 
in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, which says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And the Jews believed it. In fact, children were taught it from the time they could be taught. They memorized it. Families memorized it. They wrote it on, on, on little, little pieces of paper and put it in little boxes on their heads. The Pharisees would do such. But they would write it on their doorsteps. They would write it throughout their household. They knew that there is one and only one God. And they proclaimed this in a society much like the society we find ourselves in today. In pluralistic cultures. Folks, what America is experiencing today is not new. It's the same old recycled lies that all roads lead to heaven. Surely God didn't say the same lie from the garden. But folks, the Bible is very clear. There is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And that means the Lord is one God. The Lord is one. So there's only one true God. Now, this word one that's used there in Hebrew is the word ekad. E-C-H-A-D. Ekad. It refers to a unity of more than one person. Now, this is important. It refers to a unity of plurality. A unity of more than one. I'll give you a couple of illustrations for your research later. Genesis 2.24 says that the man lied with the woman and they shall what? And they became rather one flesh. And the two shall become one. They shall become ikad, one flesh. Two persons becoming one unity. Also in Ezra 3.1 tells us that the people gathered together as one man. Now all their DNA didn't all of a sudden gather together and they were now one new flesh. No, it means they were one, a plurality of unity. That's the way that word is used throughout the Scripture. So this truth will have great importance in the next part of our study here as we go forward. We'll learn that the one true God exists as a triunity, which we'll get to. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But there is one and only one God. Here's another verse for your arsenal. Deuteronomy 4.39 says, Know therefore today and take it to your hearts that the Lord, and it's all caps, that's the word Yahweh, that the Lord, Yahweh, He is God in heaven above and, and on the earth below. There is no other. I mean, there's no other God but the one true God. Isaiah 43.10. Isaiah 43.10 says this. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, declares Yahweh. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me, there is no God formed, and there will be none after me. How many gods are there? One God. Isaiah 45, verse 18. Isaiah 45, verse 18 says this. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens. He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and, he, and did not create it a waste place. Did not create it in vain, but formed it to be inhabited. I am Yahweh, I am the Lord, and there is none else. How many gods are there? There's one and only one God. Point one. Point two builds from it. God exists in three persons. So there's one God, one essence of God, who exists in three persons. So the Scripture is very clear that God is one. There is no problem Understanding that the Bible declares that we, we read four verses, but but there are a plethora of verses that you could find in defense of this ideal that there's one God. And yet the scriptures also 
progressively reveal to us that this one God reveals himself as three distinct persons who are all called God. They're all three called God. And so I want to show you under point two that God exists in three persons. I want to show you that now a the father is God. And then we'll see B, the Son is God, and C, the Spirit is God. And I want to give you just a couple of verses so you can see that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are each God. The first is the Father. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, the Word of God says, here, we see Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours to the fullest measure. We see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all three there. All three persons in the essence of God. All three persons of the triune Godhead are all there. But notice God the Father is first. We see God the Father. Also, in, in John chapter 6, verse 27. Look at John chapter 6, verse 27. John chapter 6, verse 27 says this. Do not work for the food which perishes. This is Jesus speaking. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, that's Jesus' most favorite, His most used description of Himself, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him, the Father, God, has set His seal. We see God, the Father, is God. Secondly, or B, we see that the Son, Jesus, is God. Hebrews 1.8. Hebrews 1.8 says this, but of the Son, he says, meaning the Father says of the Son, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. The Father, who we've already seen is God, is calling the Son, Jesus Christ, what? God. The Father is calling Jesus, the Son, God, and saying, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of the Son's kingdom. I'll give you a couple more verses. John 1.1. 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word, John 1.14, describes as Jesus. The Word became flesh, John 1.14, and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, John 1.14. Jesus, the Son, is God. Hebrews 1.8, John 1.1, 1, 1, John 20, verse 2. I'll give you that one. And also in Titus 2.13. Hebrews 1.8, John 1.1, 1, 1, Titus 2.13, and John 20, verse 2. Now see, under point 2, that, that, that God exists in three persons. We have the Holy Spirit is God. And one day when we preach through Acts, we're going to spend some time here. This is a tremendous section of, of the book of Acts. But for now, let's stick to the subject, the Holy Spirit is God. Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Acts 5, verses 3 and 4. We read this. The Word of God says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And I want to underline the Holy Spirit. 
and to keep back some of the price of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to who? To God. So, first of all, he says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And then at the very end of verse 4, the Holy Spirit's referred to as God. He has not lied to men, but to God. The Holy Spirit is referred to as God. And there are other verses as well. I'll give you a little later. Here's our third point. The third premise, if you will. There's one and only one God. God exists in three persons. And the three persons are each fully God and distinguished one from another. Point three. The three persons are each fully God and distinguished one from another. Now here under that point, let's call this A as well. I'm trying to give you a good clean outline here. So each of the three persons are fully God and distinguished from the others. Now, I'm going to give you a chart. Actually, Wyatt and Abigail are going to be standing at the back doors at the end of the service. And they'll have a chart that looks exactly like this. And I'll reiterate those points on it for you. But I've also given you this very detailed description of what I'm about to share with you right now. And there's more on here. I'm not discouraging you from taking notes. You'll remember better and own it more if you're still continuing your notes. But you will have these verses that show each person of the Godhead being distinguished from one another because, A, each person of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have the attributes of God. They're each called God. We've seen. Philippians 1-2, the Father's called God. John 1-1, the Son's called God. Acts 5, 3, and 4, the Holy Spirit is called God. They're each identified as creating all things. The Father, in Isaiah 64, verse 8. I'll give you these again in a moment. The Son, in John 1, 3. By Him all things were created. Without Him no thing has been created that has been created. John 1, verse 3. Colossians 1, 15 through 17, about the Son. And then the Holy Spirit, in Job, verse 33, verse 4 is called the Creator, given the attribute of creation. Also in Job 26, verse 13, we see that as well. The Father resurrects, 1 Thessalonians 1, 10. The Son, Jesus, resurrects, John 10, 17. The Holy Spirit resurrects, Romans 8, 11. And then we go on and on and on. The Father's all-knowing. The Son's all-knowing. The Spirit's all-knowing. The Father sanctifies. The Son sanctifies. The Spirit sanctifies. The Father is the giver of life. The Son is the giver of life. The Spirit is the giver of life. The Father is eternal. So are the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Father has a will. So do Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And on and on and on, attribute after attribute, we see attributed to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The three persons are each fully God and distinguished from one another because A, they each have the each possess the attributes of God. But B, and this is where I want to spend a few minutes, B, each is distinguished from one another. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast of Contenders Radio with Pastor Kevin Inman. For more information on this or other broadcasts, please log on to our website, contendersradio.com. That's contendersradio.com. You can also find us on the web at kevininman.org. 
That's kevininman.org. There you will find podcast episodes, blog posts, study helps, and more. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks again for listening. And may God bless you in your pursuit of the truth.